I'm Annie Fox. And I'm Laurel Pinson. And this is Workwives, conversations at your desk with the woman who knows you best. Guys, there's coffee. All right. Everything's going to be okay. Oh my God, someone have straws? So um, what you just heard was um, sounds uh, from a recent event, our biggest event of the year here at Glamour, uh, WODI. WODI is Glamour's Women of the Year Awards. And it's just one of those sort of inside baseball things that secretly the Glamour staff is planning Almost all year. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a huge event, and it is absolutely a labor of love. And this year was the first time that we did – well, we did two – we had two firsts this year. It's the yep. first time that we did it on the West Coast, which um, – I'm new to American geography, but no, but that's as far away from here as you could possibly get. Pretty far. Also, three hours difference. Three hours time difference. Three hours time um, difference. And we also had a full day um, summit before the award ceremony that night, full of obviously um, summit programming panels, talks. It was this full day with these really incredible women and these little amazing vignettes that happened um, and incredible women meeting each other sort of in real time on site, which is also kind of a thrill. Um, and then the big awards that happens that evening and there's a red carpet and the sort of the spectacle of all these women in one place on this carpet. I mean, I was on the red carpet that night and looking within, amazing, by the way, for whatever that comes. Well, thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying. And literally within the space of an hour talked with Gwen Stefani and Christine Lagarde, yeah. which to me was just sort of a great example of the kinds of women that Glamour brings together for this award. It also causes a lot of anxiety. I mean, I recall several occasions that you came to work um, after having had woty anxiety dreams. I have had two incredible woty anxiety dreams, which is clearly just the way that my body sort of processes, processes it. Yeah. it. Because especially if you're the manager of a large team, you really want to just project strength. You know, like everything is going to be cool. We have a very tactical plan. Everything is going to be great. You know, but then you go home and are sort of processing it by freaking out. Um, and the first one was uh, Wody the Musical. Wody the Musical. Where in my dream, Wody was in fact a musical mm-hmm. that had scripted elements that I mysteriously had not been cc'd on the script for you know i wasn't in the right place i wasn't wearing the right clothes um but i had to sort of arrive on stage and perform a thing it's truly like where your wody anxiety and your yale drama <laughs> just, <laughs> just like in the venn diagram the perfect you found a way to get them to overlap um and then the second one which i actually only had yesterday uh which was the sort of the monday after everything so a week has passed um, and it was Wody the Olympics. <laughs> that one where, sounds like a little too much work for me. I liked Wody the musical better because I could just sit in the yeah. audience and throw roses at you. There but Wody a, the Olympics was it was a swimming was a, relay. It was a I swim relay that I needed to participate in, and unbeknownst to me, I was like the anchor in one of the races, and I didn't have a bathing suit. It was just it was like the same thing, but the Olympics version. Um, but I can only imagine. Uh, the anxiety and stress dreams that other folks who also just worked tirelessly on this event have been having. So as I said, this was the first year that Glamour preceded the awards ceremony with a full day summit. Um, And we had a bunch of panels. And really, we were just sort of coming together and bringing incredible women together from all industries um, to celebrate women. So the day, well, the day and night were frantic, but, um, and while we were running around like headless chickens, um, Ben was out there doing the good, doing the good deeds and talking to people for, for us. And we talked to one woman in particular about 
having a work wife. Um, and I think the summit was a great place to check in on the state of work wifery. Um, and she had some amazing things to say. Hi, I'm Kristen Bolton-Keys. I'm a product director at Hilton Worldwide. Um, Kristen, do you have a work wife? <laughs> yes, I do. I would say my work wife. Um, we actually started the company the same day. We didn't know we were interviewing. And we actually met at a women's conference a couple years before we started. Um, so I pretty much bounce a lot of ideas off of her. Um, sometimes I'll just send her a message and say, hey, can we jump in a room? I need to vent. Um, she provides a lot of clarity. We're on different teams, so she provides a lot of clarity, especially when I'm just trying to work through a situation, whether it's with a coworker or a manager. So. Like, what's one thing your work wife knows about you that none of your other coworkers know about you? That most of the time I really don't know what I'm doing. No. <laughs> um, well, I, I would say one thing she knows is that I... Um, I definitely have to force myself to be um, an extrovert. I have to sort of force myself to kind of own the room and to have a lot of personal presence. And so she's really great at I, I practice a lot of things with her in terms of presentations or even sometimes writing an email. So it's good to, you know, have someone in your corner that kind of helps you kind of work through a lot of the kinks so that when you, you know, walk in the room or you're giving that presentation or you're sending that email, you're doing it with confidence, you're doing it with purpose. I I loved listening to her talk about having someone that she could bounce ideas off, that she could almost like rehearse things with in like a really safe space where you can sort of just work out the things that you feel insecure or unsure about before you, you know, you, you get to the main event where you have to give a big presentation or a really, and you can get honest feedback from someone in a, in a space that feels really safe. Well, and someone who can acknowledge with you that, that work in a lot of ways is a performance. Yeah. And who can sort of coach you in yeah. how to perform correctly and in a way that doesn't take away from your skills. Like it doesn't diminish your own talent to say, hey, I would really love to rehearse this presentation. It doesn't right. mean that you're shit at your job. It just means you want the performance to come off well. Um, so as we said, the day was full of programming. Um, we had panels and, and amazing people um, speaking around different topics. And I, I know my favorite was the panel about authenticity. Oh, so good. The panel was called Owning Who You Are, and it included Jaha Dukere, who runs um, Safe Hands for Girls, Chrissy Metz, who's an actress on... Um, this Is Us. This Is Us. I got you, go. So good. She's great. Um, and Ibtihaj Muhammad, the Olympic fencer. And it was moderated by Erin Gibson, who actually has her own podcast called Throwing Shade. And it was really honest, which I thought was great. And Ibtihaj, who is Muslim, had some really incredible and honest things to say. I don't have to explain myself to anybody. This is who I am. You have to accept me. You know, I'm not going to apologize for my skin or for, you know, my faith or for my gender. It's not up for me. You know, it's, yeah. I, I feel like it shouldn't be the the responsibility of the minority to constantly have to explain to you, like, why why you should have mm -hmm. to understand, you know, who we are and what we stand for. I feel like now as a country, we have to come together and show, like you said, these people who make these bigoted remarks, who literally are threatening violence, and some who follow through with it, we have to tell them this isn't acceptable. This isn't our country. This isn't what we stand for, and we're not going to take it. I mean, I loved listening to that panel, but I particularly loved that moment. I mean, it really stuck out. I mean, you heard it in the applause. I mean, the crowd really was like there was a palpable feeling of like, yes, that is the sentiment that so many people have been trying to get across in trying to be understood yeah. and um, by a culture and feeling you ha feeling that you're the person on the hook to make others understand you. 
which right. isn't fair. Later in the panel, Jaha Dukre um, spoke about FGM, and I know that that moment struck us both. You know, we were sort of covering the live stream from from um, our social war room, and we were all huddled together and frantically working. But that moment really gave us all pause. I mean, we all stopped what we were doing. And for those not familiar with the acronym, FGM is female genital mutilation, which I think, you know, when she started talking, every the, and you, like you said, the entire room just went very still and very quiet. To all of you in this room, I want everyone to understand that as a Muslim woman, FGM has nothing to do with my religion. FGM predates all forms of religion, both Christianity and Islam. And it's very, very important for us to not see this as an issue that's far away. It's important for us to understand that this is like any other sexual violence that women go through. So I live in Georgia, and um, when I moved to Georgia about nine years ago, and I came to the U.S. at the age of 15 to marry for an arranged marriage. And when my marriage failed, I got married again at the age of 17. And when I moved to Georgia, I found that there was a lot of girls in my community that were just like me, who had similar experiences and no one was speaking on their behalf. And when I had my daughter, I knew at that moment, the only way to protect my daughter was to speak out. The only way I knew how Khadija can grow up and to not experience some of the violences that I experienced was for me to stand up and do something about it. But doing something about it for Khadija wasn't enough when there's 200 million girls living across the world who have experienced female genital mutilation. And by saying that we want to end female genital mutilation is not enough. We mm-hmm. treat it as a faraway issue that doesn't affect us. But yet that's 200 million women. That's 6,000 girls a day. So to me, it's about protecting those women. It's about protecting those girls. It's not about sharing my story, but it's about staying true to who I am and standing in my truth. She goes on, I mean, yeah. to really talk about the impact that FGM has on, you know, women living in America, because there's obviously mm-hmm. many women who either have, you know, possibly practiced it here, you know, or been subjected to it in places abroad and then immigrated immigrated here. But it just it was so it was a kind of violence that obviously I can't even understand and was just shocking to imagine the many, many, many women who have struggled with it. Her point, making it incredibly clear that this is separate from religion and should be treated as sexual just like any other sexual, sexual violence and sexual violence against against women i think really struck me not like a tradition or right. a something that it's sexual violence and that it is that clear cut so chrissy metz is one of the stars on this is us which is a new and really acclaimed you know well-received nbc show and in the pilot episode if you've watched it she gets completely naked in her bathroom and gets on her bathroom scale to weigh herself um, and as she describes on the panel she's a big girl and this was is just an incredible thing to watch on a tv show and was just so raw and so real and on the panel uh the moderator asked her about it chrissy i'm gonna do a hard left here um you (laughs) in the opening scene of your show this is us um there is a scene where you weigh yourself naked i do Okay, you had to do this in front of an entire crew. Uh Uh-huh. What kept you from full Christian Bale freak out on set? You know, it's interesting. I had a conversation with John and Glenn who were directing that episode, and there are EPs as well, and they said, how do you feel about being in your underwear? And I'm like, at home? Like, what do you mean? And uh, they're like, no, on camera, and, and this scale scene, and I thought, in that moment, Kate's character, and of course I can relate to her, you know, every ounce counts when you're weighing yourself, no matter how much you weigh, if you're obviously tracking how much you, you know, you're dieting or whatnot. And to be that vulnerable in that space and just Kate in the bathroom, 
and it was I was like you know what I have to do this because I have to be vulnerable for not my not only myself but for every other person watching this who no matter what size they are feels inadequate whether it's their weight or their class or whatever we're constantly like picking at ourselves and feeling inadequate and I thought okay this is in a physical form of being unconventional or being uh, you know outside the box and I thought that it was really important for me to do it and yes it was frightening but I have to say it was so liberating <laughs> and I was like oh okay I could do anything <laughs> I think I could do anything now and uh, yeah there were like a hundred people there's like a boom guy in the shower a camera guy in the bathtub and I was like and I'm naked <laughs> so here we are pasties on the boobs and I thought you know what like it's just it is what it is and it, I'm gonna use what I have and if I'm a big girl I'm a big girl I'm gonna use it it's written into the storyline it's not just who Kate is and I just thought that we all are vulnerable whether we have uh, no matter what we're contending with right mine happens to be physically outwardly you know vulnerable um, I don't find my identity in my weight and so many women came up to me they're like oh my god that was so courageous I'm like girl you can do it too like, it, it doesn't matter like these are our vessels and yes we should take care of them but that's not all we are so I I was like yeah I could do this I could do anything so it was initially I was scared out of my mind and then I thought you know what who, who really cares because it's not about what I look like it's about what I'm bringing to the table I loved what she said about taking her vulnerability and turning it into a feeling of liberation. Mm. That for me was just, I mean, I feel like it resonates. We can all relate to that as women, as humans, but she just put it so, like, just so perfectly. And the idea that once she had done this thing that she then sort of felt so powerful that it was like, well, I could do anything now. Yeah. Um, I just loved that. Obviously, uh, Wody was a week after the election, or a little, a little less than a week after the election. And one of our panel, one of our early panels, was what just happened, aptly titled "What Just Happened." So on that panel was uh, the columnist Maureen Dowd from the New York Times, Lena Dunham, uh, Dolores Huerta, and it was moderated by Lizzie O'Leary. Obviously, there were a lot of standout moments from the panel because it was tackling something that felt very, very fresh and very raw for a lot of the women who were right. sitting in the room. Um, but Lena Dunham far and away had the moment on the panel, I think. And this is it. Something that I found slightly shocking was that Donald Trump spent his whole, his entire run telling us who he was, telling us what he thought about immigrants, telling us what he thought about Muslims, telling us what he thought about gay people. And it took him talking about touching a white woman for us to finally go, well, this guy seems pretty off. And frankly... I think that was evidence of so many voters' privileged view of what it means to be an American citizen. And it's the moment that all of the Republican men stepped up and went, well, not my daughter, not my wife, because it was the first time that they could see him as someone who would hurt somebody that was close to him. Like, I actually have nothing to add to that. It was just There's perfection. nothing to add. Yeah. I, th I, I think, you know, as a white woman, obviously, I was immediately like, that is the most correct thing that another white woman has said about this whole situation. Um, and I think that, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to leave you on a lighter note mm -hmm. because Wody was, above all, a good time and a, a celebration. celebration. Jinx. Oh, I love when we do that. Celebration. Well, so let's let's throw to our red carpet spectacular um, where we asked all our favorite women about their work wives before we had in and out <laughs> in and out was a, also a It was time. also a highlight. Hi, 
I'm Gabourey City Bay. I just directed my first film. It's a it's a short, and my work wife is my producing partner, Kia Perry, who is also like my life wife, and she's like one of my best friends, and she's the most supportive, most creative person in my life, and yeah, I guess I'm married to her. Hey, my name is Opal Tometi. I'm one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter. Patrice Culler is one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter. Alicia Garza, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter. I do. <laughs> These are my work wives. <laughs> And then also my other work wife is Aijin Poo, who's with me here tonight from the National Domestic Workers Alliance. That's my bae. <laughs> yeah, these are the women I go to for everything. I think we're in a really unique position, and um, only we know that position, and so I go to them for all the feels. <laughs> yeah, we rely on each other. We have a network and a community filled with lots of different people with different kinds of skills and assets. And so we really have to lean into each other in order to navigate our world. First, can you introduce yourself to me? Natalie Morales. I do have a work wife. That would be Kit Hoover at Access Hollywood. And I love her because she is an incredible inspiration to me. She lifts me up. We help build each other up. And I think we both have been very supportive. And I think that's the key to good friendship and to a good relationship. We're co-hosts together, but we're also good friends. And it really is about having a great team. I'm Missy Franklin. I'm an Olympic swimmer of 2012 and 2016. Honestly, I would probably say my roommate and best friend back at Cal. Um, she's absolutely incredible. We, we live together, and she's a swimmer as well. And so she knows the struggles and also the joys that come along with being a part of the sport. And she's someone that I can just be utterly myself with. So whether it was a great day with an awesome practice or a terrible day where I just was horrible and drowning the whole time, she's always someone I can go and talk to and just feel really comfortable with. Hi, I'm Iska Lawrence. My work wife is definitely my housemate, Fatima. Um, she helps me with any questions that I have. She gives me advice and her upbringing is so different from mine. Um, she's a first generation immigrant from Morocco. She's a Muslim and we have the most incredible talks about how to live our lives in unique different ways, but then we work together and my career would not be where it was without her. Hi, I'm Don Leon Gardner. I do have a work wife and her name is Rutina Wesley and she means the world to me because she is my sister, she is my homie, she is my blood, she is she is so many things. Um, she's my sister on a show called Queen Sugar and we, um, I just don't think I could do that show without her. Uh, everything that we have gone through together, everything that we have um, celebrated together, that, you know, I literally am wearing jewelry that is from her. Like, that's how much she's with me. Um, she's my heart. So I love her. I'm, I celebrate her. My name is Amanda Decadene. I've had a couple of work wives. I think they're really important. I think you have different work wives for different stages of life. So I've done a lot with various women. Um, I made a show with Demi Moore. She was my work wife for a while. Um, and then I have, a, I, have a, I have a new work wife, but more about that soon. They're, but they're really important. They really are. Because you spend so much time with them. I've had some good ones, I have to say. And I've learned a lot from them. And I've been other people's work wife, too. What have you learned? Um, that women are capable of so much when they do it together. My name's Dana Vollmer. I'm a seven-time Olympic medalist in swimming. Having strong women in my life has, has been a huge inspiration, and uh, I brought one as my guest. She's also a multi-medalist uh, for swimming, and uh, you know, other moms, um, being a new mom and trying to get back into, into my job and being an elite swimmer again, like I definitely get strength from, from other strong women out there.
we hope you really enjoyed what you heard today as much as we did while we were in the room. And if you are curious to watch any of these clips, uh, because we live streamed the entire thing, you can actually go to Glamour's Facebook page and watch any of the panels or the awards yourself. Um, and if you have a story about your work wife or want to shout out to your work wife, use hashtag workwives. Workwives is produced by Ben Riskin and Acast. Our associate producer, Katiri Benjamin, keeps the ship afloat. And we have production support from the whole staff at Glamour, including Anna Maysline, Lizzie Logan, and Simone Kitchens. And we're recorded right here at Condé Nast Studio in NYC. 